Thank you so much for tuning in to the Providence Community Podcast. We just, we pray today that God would do amazing things in your heart as you listen to this message. And uh, we ask for just the richest blessing on your family. And if you would like some more information about Providence Community Church, you can go to www.providencecommunity.org, or you can also download our app in the App Store. We're so thankful that you tuned in, and uh, we can't wait to celebrate all that God does in your life. Amen. Amen. Um, I want to talk to you just for a moment as we get into this. If you turn to Romans 8, that's, that's wonderful. We're going to be at a couple other places, uh, including Genesis chapter 1. Um, but I want to um, begin talking this morning uh, about my mom. You know my mom? Do you know Annelle Herndon? Where is she? Yeah, Annelle Johnson. She's right back here. Um, She, uh, just a a fantastic lady. Uh, Just cannot say enough uh, about her. Uh, She's been a great mom. Thank you, mom. For this is not Mother's Day. I don't know why I'm this thankful for you, uh, but uh, oh, I, I do. That, that didn't sound right. Anyway, let me, let me keep talking about you. Um, but uh, um, we've had, we've had, my mom's had a rough life, and she's following Jesus harder today uh, than she ever has her whole life, and that is quite a, a legacy to watch. Um, but about three years ago, my mom moved to this area with, uh, with my stepdad, uh, Harry, and his health was failing. My mom was at the place where she needed to, uh, he, he, he passed a few months ago. Uh, and uh, my mom was at the place where she could not work outside the house. She had to, uh, she had to make money from inside the house while she's watching Harry. And um, so we had this idea that uh, we talked together. My mom used to raise golden retrievers uh, when I was a kid and wonderful dogs. Um, and uh, so we said, hey, hey, uh, like doodles are in. Everything's going doodle. Mom, like, why don't you raise doodles? That way you can watch these doodles and uh, all this stuff from home. And uh, you can, and you can still be home to take care of Harry. Um, a lot of things uh, broke out. We drove all over the country uh, purchasing the best dogs that we could. Um, and, uh, and I, one evening, my mom and I sat down at a table and we grabbed a calculator and we did the math. And it was, it was a tough time because there was, we had spent a lot, we put a lot out, uh, we needed a lot in return just to make it, and um, we, we did the math and we found um, that here was the reality, mom, unless this dog, unless this first litter of puppies, uh, unless she has twice the number of puppies, um, we are no, you're not going to make it. I don't know what we'll do with you, all right? I do not know what we'll do with you. It's just, it's, it's not going to happen financially. And so I remember we were kind of down and uh, kind of like a spirit of hopelessness. Have you ever experienced this before where, where the world is saying, yeah, uh, that's improbable. Uh, that's the closest thing to impossible. That's just not going to happen. I, y- y- you've got the shaft. I don't know what God is thinking in this case. And so I remember we were feeling like that. Uh, knowing that that wasn't right, but feeling like that. And I remember pushing away from that meeting, hugging my mom, walking to the door, and suddenly as I, as I touched the, the doorknob to leave my mom's house, the story of Elijah and Elisha popped in my head. Some of you, you know this story, where Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And so it popped in my head, and I just thought, you know what, Uh, I'm just going to walk back here. We're all feeling low. I'm going to joke around a little bit. And so I walked back, and I grabbed my mom's labradoodle by the face, and and I said, like, uh, 
uh, like a Southern Pentecostal, and I, I do mean Southern on that Pentecostal, you know, not just a regular feel-good Northern Pentecostal, I mean a Southern Pentecostal. I, I grabbed the dog by the face, and I said, like Elijah imparted a double portion to Eli- Elisha. I give you the double portion, hey yeah, you know, and I did something like that, and my mom starts laughing, and the dog starts kind of prancing, and I started laughing too, and I was like, yeah, and I did the old knee slap, because that's what Herndon's do, and then I was like, okay, mom, everything's going to be fine, and then I walked to the door, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do that again, I went back, and this time I didn't touch the dog, I just kind of two-handed, like, like, receive the double portion, and I was like, wow, this is Southern Pentecostal, like this. Yes, yes, yes. And my mom, this time, she's knee slapping. Harry's laughing. We're all laughing. I'm like, oh, this is a good time. Hug mom again. Mom is going to be good. Walk to the door. And I said, I'm going to do this a third time. Third time. And I went through. And this time, like, like, I really, really, really gave it my all. And I said, like Elijah imparted the double portion to Elisha, I give you the double portion. And what happened, guys? What happened is a shock wave, this isn't, that was joking, but that was very true, was it not, Mom? Back me up. A shock wave went through our house. I'm, I, I'm, I'm totally serious. If you've always thought I'm a liar, disregard this. If you've ever found my words to be true, I'm telling you the truth. Something surged through our house so much that all the dogs, it was four, they all laid on the ground and just looked at me. Every hair I've got on my body stood at attention, and there was a heavenly silence. And we're looking at each other, and I was instantly convicted by Holy Spirit that stop joking about what's true. God does this. You're making it a joke. Coach Phil believes it, right? <laughs> the, uh, what, what happened, just, just to show you this, though, uh, a few months later, that dog did get, or a few weeks later, that dog did, did get pre- pregnant. I don't know how much you know about Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, whatever kind of doodle you know, but about six to eight dogs is, is what's average for a litter, so let's just call that seven. That dog popped out 14 puppies. <laughs> I'm telling you, like double portion coming your direction. The, I, 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 I love moments like that when the enemy is trying to speak hopelessness over people and that even in our joking, even in our childishness, sometimes God shows up and he, he delivers in a double kind of way. And this morning, the reason I'm telling you this story is because I want to speak to hearts here today that you don't really, really believe that God loves you, and I believe that there's a grace in this place, and I believe that God is doing something in this time in history to take a bunch of religious people that only know how to pass tests on the love of God, but actually devalue the love of God. The, the enemy has been way too successful at, mini, at minimizing the importance of the Father's undying, never-ending, steadfast love. And we talk about the love of God like it's, it's okay, but let's get to obedience. Well, if you're obeying but not out of love, it's not obedience. It's called old-fashioned, old-school, old-time religion. And that is not what turns the Father's uh, uh, attention or affection. God is not looking for obedience first. He's looking for love first. And he wants to pour his love on you first so it can come out of you second. 
So we, we talk about the love of God like it's not that important. Let's not preach the love of God too much or people will start feeling too good because God forbid that those adopted from the kingdom of darkness now transplanted as heirs in the kingdom of light should feel good. We don't want you to feel too good. Let's not talk about love too much and that we have so minimized the greatest thing we've got. And that God loves us with double, triple, quadruple portions. And I I just believe if even right now that if you have only known about the love of God but have never like really been wrecked by it, God wants to give this to you in a new, fresh way. Be open to it. I, uh, I went to the Moody Bible Institute. I found out that D.L. Moody, even though he was a, a nationally and internationally famous preacher, um, his life and ministry changed when he heard a no-name preacher preach on the love of God. You can lead people to Jesus and never be wrecked by the love of God yourself. And this morning, I just want to talk about the love of God. And specifically, I want to start here, the relationship between living in victory, living in newness, living in power, and the love of God. And so that's why Romans chapter 8, verse 37 to 39 is important. Let me just read this to us for a moment. I'm going to take a bunch of verses like this and pull them out uh, and, uh, and direct your attention here. This is what Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 37, says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, more than conquerors, yes, through strict obedience and adherence to the law, no. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the rules of God. No. From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is this not central to it all? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Let, let's talk about that one for a moment. This is a, this is a big one. Life verse. Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's a hard message, but it's true. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Yes, your life is not your own. You belong to Jesus. You're not the captain of, of your own ship, the creator of your own destiny. You're now trusting your future to somebody else. It's called Christianity. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, even John chapter 3, verse 16, that many of us know from VBS days, where Aunt Bertha showed us on a flannel graph. At the smell of muffins. I don't know how they got muffin smells in those old churches, you know. Old Bertha just brought, brought it. God so loved, so loved. God so loved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish 
but will have everlasting life. What is tied to everlasting life? What, what spawns it? What, what launches it? What, what sends Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of God, into history itself to pay for this is so love of God. Psalm 63, we referenced this last week. 63 verse 3, your steadfast love is better than life. Therefore, my lips will praise you. What, what should be the greatest influence on our worship? What should make us think about Jesus and just be lost? And suddenly the clock doesn't matter, and we're not telling time. We're not be saying, how long have I been standing? I thought, wow, holy cats, it's 34 stinking minutes. <laughs> I think I'm going to check, you know, church, a, you know, whatever down the street, because I get to sit. Wow, the steadfast love of God. Steadfast is like a river that never ends. And when you're in the river, you forget about the clock. You're just like so caught up. And by the way, I've got a revolutionary thought for those of you that the worship is too long for. Lay in the aisle. Huh? Hey, no. Oh, my feet are tired. Lay in the aisle. Try that posture out. See what happens. Think you'd be pleasantly surprised, all right? The problem is not that the worship's too long. The problem is that your heart's not alive. And you, you need something, an encounter with the love of God that makes you forget about time. I don't think that there's going to be clocks in heaven saying, do Paul, talk to Jesus, man. We've been doing this a while. We got lunch. Paul's like, and you got in how? Like, What? What? Come on. Let me talk to somebody here. Get you kicked out, you know. So, so here's, here's the problem. I, I hope that you can, see, you can see this, that the relationship between life that God pours out is tied to the love that God overwhelms us with. And so many of us are trying to live in the life without ever being impacted by the love. The love comes and wrecks your life. So you begin to live from that place. It's not I who live, but it's Christ in me. He's loved me. It is, and all these things, I'm more than a conqueror. How, by, by trying hard and by having someone get in my face like on the basketball team? You can do better than this. No, it's I have been wrecked by him who loves me. And now I don't try to be a conqueror. I just am. This is the love of God. It drives everything. It's not the icing on the cake. It's the meat. And it's what we have divorced ourselves from theologically. So the, the problem that I want to speak to this morning is that many of us know that God loves us. Many of us know that God loves other people. No meaning you haven't been wrecked by it. You can just ace the exam on it. I pulled a lot. I've got a stinking master's degree. All right, I, pull, I passed a lot of tests that I would fail today because I pulled an all-nighter. I memorized something to get the grade that I wanted, but I didn't actually internalize and have a one-on-one -on -one collision with what I was passing. And many of us know that God loves but do not really listen, believe he does. We know that God does, of course. God still loves the world. God still loves the world. He loves me, yes, I know, he loves you. We go on missions trips, 
and we try to give a love away that we don't even possess. We're wondering why yeah, it kind of feels good to talk about love when we're talking about Haitians, you know. But I want to talk about a love that is going to make its home in you. Many of us know that God loves us. We just don't believe he does. And this is honestly my story for way too long. That we've, we've heard the reports, and I heard the reports. I was born into a pastor's family. I heard the reports of God's love. I could ace exams on God's love. I, I passed as someone who had been wrecked by God's love just because I was a nice, obedient kid. But I didn't really know that God loved me till recently. I, uh, my soul was never convinced that God's love is that insanely important. And it took me a long time to believe this. And it, there's a lot of barriers that God had to get out of the way before I would really believe this. When I say I believe this, I do. But I, I'm just like, more Jesus. Double it, double it, quadruple that. I want, it, I want more of this this understanding. So here's a few things that, that block our ability to understand the love of God is that is brokenness. And we all are. But this brokenness is, is not the good kind of brokenness. Some brokenness is good. Sometimes you get broken over your sin, perhaps, and then that leads to repentance. Sometimes you're, you're broken, and, and it's, it leads to, like, humility and just this posture before God. Like, oh, God, like, like I'm, I'm coming to you. I don't have all the answers I need to receive from you. And that's a good kind of brokenness. Not all brokenness is bad. The kind of brokenness that is a deterrent to love, the bad kind, does not allow you to function because it actually makes a place for lies. And your motivation and the fuel for your life are distruths. And you get broken by demonic concepts spoken into you and over you, and you hold on to them like they are the truth. Or something happens to you that completely busts up the foundation of your existence, and you're so broken that you don't know how to, how to go into your future. Like divorce. I, uh, as, a, as a fourth grader, my parents got divorced, and my dad was a pastor, yo. Do you have any clue the, the way the church assaulted my family in those days? I'm just, we're disowned by everybody. I remember when my mom put me and my brother in her, like, 1980-something Toyota Celica that the ignition didn't start, but it was, it was a stick, so we had to push it and pop the clutch to drive it. And we drove in that Celica to a trailer park, and we walk into a blue one, and she says, this is your new house. Daddy and I are getting divorced. I don't know how to tell you. And I hid and cried in the closet for an hour. I'm talking about that kind of brokenness, where in your brokenness, the enemy comes and says, told you father wasn't good. Told you. You're doing all this stuff for God. You're trying to lead kids to Jesus on the bus, and your parents... You're living in a, you left your own room for this? Oh. I remember in those days, the only way that I knew how to deal with my brokenness was, uh, was eating in seclusion. So my greatest friends didn't become people. My greatest friends 
became uh, little deadbeats. <laughs> Ho-hos, to be exact. And zebra cakes, okay? It's tight. And at lunchtime, I made sure I found a table that nobody was at so I could hide there. And I could get a lollipop that had broken cookies on the outside and creamy delight on the end. And I just ate those. I got so large that when I smiled, my eyes disappeared. And I wish I was joking. Praise God that there was nothing digital in those days. This is what I did. So I felt so bad about myself and I felt so broken and I was receiving so many lies in those days that even though I was a big dude and I was strong because we ended up moving to a farm, my stepdad was a huge big time farmer and he trained me on how to bale hay and wrestle a wild stallion to the ground and even though I was, I was strong on the outside, I was very weak on the inside and I would let small people pick on me all the time and I just became super nice just because I didn't feel, I feel let me say it this way, I felt so horrible about who I was on the inside that I just let people put gum in my hair and I just left it there. I let people push me over in the hallway and I just clean up my books and I never put up a fight. I can't imagine being a dad to a son like that. Just, just watching someone that has strength act like they don't. Seeing someone that live under the delusion that, that you're not strong. You don't have what it takes. But being a dad that sees, no, you're beautiful and you do have what it takes, I, I cannot imagine, imagine. I actually thought that I deserved to be bullied. So I let it happen. This is the kind of brokenness that I'm talking about. That what, the, the banner that's flying over your life is unloved. Unloved. And this is what brokenness says. And this brokenness leads to rejection. In this season, my granddad, who is not a part of our lives at all, my, uh, my granddad on my mom's side, he was a highfalutin, big-time attorney in Atlanta. He, we really knew nothing about him except that he smoked since he was 12, and, and he, we, his house made us cough. But he was like a bachelor for decades, and he decides that, that uh, you know, after we had to run from, you know, the husband number two abusive and knocking my mom's teeth out, we, we ran to McDonald's, and another family called the Cernos who saw us crying there, and they welcomed us into their house. And my, my granddad says, you guys can't live in some stranger's house. I'm going to move up there and be the granddad that you never had. And oh, was he? Because he moved up, and we, we lasted with him maybe five months before he said, I'm moving back to Atlanta. You're on your own. Oh, well, that makes sense. Because the story that we're living in is just a rejection one. And I know better now, but I still see this creeping into me 30 years later. Two years ago, I was at a, a Bethel conference, which was awesome, by the way. Don't listen to what YouTube says about Bethel, yo, okay? Like, listen to it yourself, please. So sick of the church uh, making that erroneous error. So I'm at a Bethel conference, and uh, I'm, I'm in a hotel, and I'm exercising on an elliptical, elliptical machine, and Jeremy Riddle comes and gets on the elliptical machine next of me. I was like, my heart first filled with admiration, like, oh my word, Jeremy, 
I know him. He doesn't know me. I was just going to say, I, I was just going to say, dude, I'm sorry to interrupt your, your workout. I just want to let you know, like, wow, you're such a blessing. Keep bringing it. Jesus loves you. I've been wrecked by your ministry. Come on. I just want to whack him once. <laughs> just, yeah, not, not a pat. I'm just whack him down. Come on, man. I want to be able to say that. Have that stat. But here's what I did as I went back to the lunch table and pretended that I was invisible. I'm 38 years old at doing this. Time doesn't heal wounds. I went invisible because still what was written over me is rejection, that he would say, who in the world are you? Excuse me, I'm working out here. And when you get rejected by Jeremy, <laughs> I just didn't know if I could handle that. And rejection then leads to self-hatred and self-loathing. Some of you, you look at yourselves in the mirror, and the only emotion that you feel is maybe something uh, in the family called disgust. You dif dislike yourself so much that you can barely see a photo of you. And selfieing too much is not your problem, because you can't imagine ever taking a picture of yourself and, and going public with it. Because when you see you, whether you're attractive on the outside or not, you're broken on the inside. And you can't see your greatness on you because it's just not in you. What's written on your heart is unlovable, rejected, abandoned, orphaned. I gave my life to Jesus at the age of seven years old. And I can attest to the fact that I did not find him. He found me. He came running after me so hard like, like a father down a road when I wasn't even looking, he showed up. And he, he got me in the midst of all this pain, and I ended up going to the Moody Bible Institute for, for my uh, undergraduate, then Lancaster Bible College for my graduate. And, and what happened at these institutions is they were embracing a discipleship model that didn't seek my healing. It sought adding information to my brokenness. So I became a very smart, insecure person. I know a lot. I graduated, I, I graduated with my master's with honors. Broken. And then I ministered for almost two decades like this. And when I started making people feel bad, as a youth pastor, I'd get up and like, whoa, we're... You're, we're not even going to have snacks anymore because nobody here at this youth ministry cares about Jesus. Parents would come up and be like, we finally have someone teaching the word. <laughs> and God started breaking out on me. It led a youth ministry called The Pulse, and when hundreds of kids were getting saved, and I just started being like, wow, this is, this is, this is more otherworldly, God, than what I've been taught. This isn't about people trying. This is about people being wrecked. See, I was always taught that you're a sinner saved by grace. Your whole soul, your whole existence is being held over the flames of hell by a thread. Well... But I've been forgiven, right? Like, 
Is my soul still being held over the flames of hell by a thread? <laughs> I should be alone. No. Doesn't make sense, but I guess I'll believe you. Yeah, I, I'm just an undeserving little wretch. It's no good for anything. That's right. And the church needs more of you. The church has plenty of those, don't we? Where we actually spiritualize our brokenness. Where we don't, we don't believe for each other's healings. We, we actually champion self-loathing. Where the people that look the most uh, spiritual to us are the people that hate themselves the most and others. And you, you uh, I'm going to love you, but I'm not going to like you. And you pastor for 18 years like that. And just stuff that just doesn't make sense. I just recently, guys, I, ju I just recently, I mean within the last few years, but it's just been happening more and more. I just recently began not just knowing but believing that I'm loved by the Father. Just recently, just recently. And, and old lies still surface. Listen to this. Here's one of the verses that, that began to uh, redirect my heart. Um, Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, it says, listen, you're made in God's image. You're made in God's image. Um, I, as a dad, I don't let my kids call people trash. Whether they're doing stupid things or not, a person is not trash. A person's an image bearer. A person's an image bearer. We're not talking to animals. We're talking to God's highest creation. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. <laughs> His own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is powerful. And what the enemy is doing under, the, uh, under, uh, under banners that say uh, inclusion banners is the enemy is trying to get us to be anyone other than who we are. Oh, I kind of feel like I'm a duck on the inside. I don't care if you feel like a duck. You are an image-bearing person. The, so so the, the, the enemy is trying. There, there's just this attack. Nobody knows who they are. If you apply for, uh, for college these days, there's a very long blank when it says gender. There's like 200 options now. And this shouldn't make us angry. This should make us hurt. When you don't know the love of the Father, you yell at people who don't know who they are. But when you know the love of the Father, you run to people who don't know who they are and you hold them and you say, you're just, you don't have to know. Just know this. You're loved by me. You're loved by the Father. I'm just, I'm not giving up on you until your heart believes can I tell you this, that you are the highest of all creation, whether you're a Christian or not? You may be here today, and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You don't consider yourself religious, which, by the way, that's a great thing. We're not following a religion. We're following a treasure named Jesus.
And so you may be here today, I'm the furthest thing from a Christian. I don't even believe in Jesus doesn't rob you from your reality. And your reality is that God made you. You you are a carrier of his image. You're the highest of all creation. When God's making trees, they're good. When God's making birds, they're good. When God's making mountains, they're good. When God makes man and woman, they're very good. There's nothing better on earth than human beings. Nothing better on earth than human beings. And we've decided as human beings that God is not as good as he says he is. And we've decided to enter ourselves into a horrible kingdom of darkness, believing the lies. But that doesn't rob us of who we actually were. And that's image bearers that God loves. Can I tell you this? That you are God's creation, so it means that you were, you were not created from, necess- from the necessity of God. God is so big and so beautiful and so awesome that he needs nothing. He is fine all in himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existing. They're great together. He didn't need you. He did not need you. So many of us only know a value based on if we're needed. So we busy ourselves, we busy ourselves, and we, we stay active so we stay important and so we stay necessary to other people. But as soon as nobody needs us, we don't even know who we are anymore. God didn't make you because he needs you. Listen to this. You're not, you're not important because of the plans that God has for you. God didn't make you first and foremost just to go off and do great things. If God was just looking for great things to be done, like in all actuality, he can do that himself or use angels. He doesn't need you to do great things. First and foremost, you're important, listen, because of the image you bear. You're not needed. You are, in fact, wanted. You weren't created out of necessity, you were created for intimacy, just to be known and to know. And this doesn't make you the center of the universe. It welcomes you into a much bigger life than you being the center. You are not the center. We are not the center. We're welcomed into the kind of life that can actually Enjoy he who is the center named Jesus. I get to know that guy. That's what I was made for. That's what I was made for. I love being in this place where I just get to be known and to know and to love and be loved. Squirrels can't do this. Rhinos can't do this. Polar bears can't do this. Armadillos definitely cannot do this. They ugly. All right? You, my friends, are not. You have a capacity to interact with your creator. You have a capacity. The weight of God's image on you. So I'm, I'm making these people in my image. I'm making them to be able to love. I'm making them to be able to reason, communicate, speak at high levels. I'm making them as relational beings like I am. I just want to know them. I want them to know me. I want to walk with them in the cool of their days. Through everything. You're created for intimacy. Into me, you see, Jesus. 
into me, you see. You're, you're created to be seen into by your Father and to be known. You're not created to do, but when you're known, you will do great things. You don't become valuable when you become a Christian. You are valuable as an image bearer. And this is what was difficult to believe because I honestly, guys, in all of my trainings and all of my high honors, I was never taught this. In fact, just a few months ago, I, I, I told you guys about this not too long ago, but I had a counseling session. And the counselor, after he listened to all my pain for a while, um, he said, uh, he said, Nathan, let's stop talking. And let's just listen. Let's ask Jesus what he says about you. I was like, okay, let's ask Jesus what he says. I'm Pastor Nathan. Like, his name's Steve. I'm like, Steve, I know what Jesus says. I've been like, <laughs> like, why are we doing this? Okay, Jesus, bowed my head. Put myself in a receiving posture, sitting on a couch. Jesus, what do you have to say about Pastor Nathan? And guys, here's the only way that I know how to explain this. But like uh, uh, a lightning bolt from heaven was shot into my brain. And the sound of it was 10,000 horns. That's all I know. Once again, you didn't believe me about the doodles. You're not going to believe me about lightning bolts, all right? But I'm, te I'm telling you. I asked Jesus, and a millisecond later, a message gets shot into my head, and it's just this. You're the best man I know. <sighs> I, can't even, I can't even say it. I cried for half an hour. Why? When I could collect myself, Steve says, seems like Jesus said something. <laughs> yeah. What'd he say? And I said, I think he said, you're the best man I know. What was it like? It was like a lightning bolt. What did it sound like? 10,000 horns. Why do you think that was Jesus? Because he said, I'm the best man he knows. And I just don't know if I believe that. Oh, Steve says, now we're getting somewhere, Pastor. Oh, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. I, I'm finding that so, so many of us, we're, we're just coasting through life, seeking out stuff and positions, reading our Bibles. I'm convinced that this is a love letter, not a rule book. You will read this as a rule book if you don't know the love of the Father. But you read this like a love letter from a love room. If you know the Father's heart. You can feel bad if you, if you miss a day, but if, if you know that you're loved, th this, is, this is no longer pressure. This is a thing called love. Encountering the Father's love. Experiencing the Father's pursuit. Knowing the Father's embrace. Knowing that when Jesus describes the Father, he doesn't describe someone that, that's looking for, uh, for ways that he can punish. When Jesus describes the Father, he says it's like this. There's a son that goes out and hurts his dad so bad. Basically wishes his dad was dead. 
and takes half of his dad's wealth and goes and wastes it in a few months. And then he comes home, and that's religious folks. <laughs> yeah, he comes home. He's about ready to get his. He's about ready to learn a lesson that the world's not that simple, that you can't go out and waste everything you've got and come back and not have to pay for it. <laughs> I should be enacting. Oh, man, I should, I should be enacting. I should do it. But here's, here's what Jesus says. No, no, no. The father is looking for the son. But he's not excited to discipline He's inside to receive him. And in fact, when the father sees the son coming home, he runs to him. He breaks all the cultural norms. And he runs to his boy and he falls on his boy and he kisses his boy on the neck. He says, I'm putting a ring on your finger. This, this shows that you belong in my house. And I'm putting a, a robe on you. This shows that you're not worthless, but you are valued by me. I'm killing the fattened calf. Don't you have something better to celebrate? There's nothing better than a son coming home. This is why I was fattening it. The, I, I lost my daughter in an arcade for half an hour, and I thought that she was gone. And to make a long story short, after half an hour, my wife and I found her and, and that first embrace after being lost and thinking the worst and then being found is a tear-filled one. All the, all the brokenness and all the lies that you're like, hey, your parents forgot you, your parents left you, you didn't matter to them. When, when in that embrace where you're actually found, when you found that I just waited here and mom came busting in, you found like, oh, all of those lies can go to hell. I was not believing the truth. All of those lies were from the abyss. The enemy was trying to make me believe that I am nothing, that I'm worth nothing, that I'm not valuable, that I've been left, that I've been orphaned, that I've been abandoned, when the opposite is in fact true. Dad was looking for you all along and wouldn't stop till he found you. Some of you can't cry because you haven't been found. There's nothing to cry about. You're still believing the lies that you've been abandoned and you're worthless and you're just trying to obey a God that you don't even think likes you. God likes you. He's hunting you down. He's sending his own son who's descended heaven's throne though he didn't have to. The inner time and space, he's so big he was outside of it and he entered it. He's come after you, and he's, he's paid for all of the mess that you've made and all your brokenness and all of your just erroneous thinking, all the ways you've devalued him. He's come after you instead. The greatness of God's love is not that you deserve it. The greatness of God's love is that you don't, and God pours it out anyway. I'm not good enough for God. Duh. Duh! What? You're thinking like a, re a religious person. You don't have the heart of the Father yet. The, the, the greatness of the love of God is that while you were still a sinner, orphaned and far from God, God sent his Son into the world for love's sake. 
This is it. This is it. I, uh, I just have, I, God's given me a new compassion for people. That I want Providence to always be the kind of church that, that when people come in, they don't just get nice politeness, but they actually get a taste of the Father. That we're so full of the Father's heart that we just spill it out on everybody else and people, we actually become an encounter with the Father. And so maybe you think Providence services go on too long and we've always been on the thing and the worship and all of these things are wrong. And if, if clocks matter more to you than revival, then this is just not your church. You're always welcome here if you want to see God wreck people and bring them back to life, out of darkness into life. If you want to join that fight, you're always welcome here. And even if you're not, you're welcome here. Just don't make a big deal about it because we've got big men around that will, in fact, chase you away. All right? Keith, can you just stand up for a second? Can you just, this is one of them right here. Just hold on. Keith, look at that man. Look at that man. Come on. He'll get you. Do you know what, though? The, the, the most heavenly thing is, is big men that own guns. Right? And that just come when they see you, they're just like, get in here. Get in here. Carriers of the Father's heart. Carriers. I've got so much more to say. I just want to remind us that we're an imperfect people or welcome church. Not an imperfect people or stomached church. Not an imperfect people are, you know, I guess allowed to come, but man, they're not allowed to serve. We're an imperfect people or welcome church where we believe that if God's love is present, that the imperfect can be changed. So we just do life like that together. And it's messy. It's just messy. We believe that the love of the Father is bigger. Guys, I wonder, uh, could, I'm going to ask somebody to stand right now, just out of boldness. It, I, I, I want to encourage you to stand right now. If uh, you've never known the Father's love, you are an orphan, spiritually speaking, but you want to belong in the kingdom. You want to put your faith in Jesus Christ right this moment. I want to ask you to stand. And you're not going to get your rejection. You're probably going to get massive applause, and somebody will probably invite you over to dinner and, and throw money at you. That's not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm just saying, is there anybody here in the house today that says, I've been outside the kingdom for so long? There's somebody right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Good. Can you just actually, everybody stand your feet right now. Let's just pray together. God, I feel like I could, I could talk for hours. It's for hours. But I just, I just pray, God, that what you do to every single person in this place is with overwhelming heavenly power. You begin to convince us that we're not trash. You begin to eradicate every lie. That you, you begin to show us your love. I just pray that. Welcome orphans home. Welcome daughters and sons home, God. Thank you for what you're doing. This is not a time of history that we're going to commiserate about. This is a time in history where we will rise up full of your spirit, full of your love, and we're going to impact the nations. We bless you. We praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.